and live from Brussels and Mumbai, it's ZNLive. ZNLive. That's right. We are very excited today. We have a very special guest, the leading EU influencer of the ranking this year, a very prolific uh, actor on Twitter, somebody who's been talking about a range of topics. We have Andrew Strohlein. Um, fantastic to have you today on, I guess, a pretty special day since it's the day that um, Elon Musk closed his acquisition of Twitter. So since you are obviously somebody who's deeply invested in Twitter, not as an investor, but as a user, <laughs> you know, you, you tell me, um, and how's that going? Uh, how do you feel about the acquisition? Is it good or bad? Or you don't have an opinion? Of you have an opinion since you've been talking about it. <laughs> um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be back. I, uh, I mean, we're all looking at this. Uh, everyone who's on Twitter is looking at this acquisition, um, you know, with a bit of uh, fear, I think, based on some of the things that uh, Musk has said in the past. And the first and most prominent among those is his idea of, um, what is it, free speech absolutism. Or, uh, and I mean, first of all, any anyone who's into any kind of absolutism, I'm not really sure, um, uh, has really kind of caught on to the nuances of life. But when you talk about free speech absolutism on, on, a, on a, an important platform like Twitter, then you're really um, undermining the, the, the work that Twitter has done uh, on content moderation in recent years, which and it has got better over the years. And you're really um, not understanding something fundamental, which is that the right of free speech is not absolute. You know, it has to be balanced with other rights. And um, so everyone's a little bit worried about that. But I think it goes a little bit deeper than that. I think everyone gets a little bit um, maybe freaked out by, uh, you know, Elon Musk because he's, you know, sometimes a little bit unpredictable and whatnot. It's about one person owning the whole platform. And if we're saying that this is a super important platform, and if we're saying that it really is like a, a key space for the global conversation and so on and so forth, if it's that important, should any one person be in charge of it? You know, that's, that's, I think, the deeper problem. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. We got a comment from Justin uh, saying he's already fired people, um, and basically, you know, the, the the restructuring has already begun. And of course, the the big question is, you know, how do you manage the platform? I think you're you're, you're right to point out this the ownership question, and you know, I guess we'll find out exactly how this ownership will work and how involved Elon Musk will actually be in in running the platform. Uh, but I guess the practical question is. Um, you, and you mentioned some of this in your thread, uh, which we'll share uh, on, on our platform uh, about Twitter, which is how do you get to run the content of, of a platform like this and other social platforms? You talked about democratic oversight. So mm. we need democratic oversight. How does that work? Who represents democracy in a global uh, environment with a global platform? Yeah, and, and uh, I would even extend your question you know across so many legal jurisdictions right so it is um uh, fraught with complications and that's kind of another reason why the simplicity of saying oh it's just free speech absolutism is is uh is kind of wrong-headed um it is complicated there have been uh, principles to managing content that have been developed by uh, uh, human rights organizations civil liberties organizations using uh, looking at a whole range of rights, not just the, the right to free speech. Um, because, you know, this this affects 
the social, all social media platforms can really affect so many different types of rights. Like you're talking about, you know, how people run their businesses, for example, right? I mean, removing content or removing accounts can affect so uh, economic rights or right to association. It's really um, a complex mix. So um, a lot of um, uh, organizations developed a, a while back something called the Santa Clara Principles. So they're based uh, on, it's a way of looking at content moderation. And, and they provide kind of a framework that uh, tech companies could use. I think one of the real problems is just uh, openness. Like really we as users don't know a whole lot about how these social media platforms operate. Like how the algorithms promote some things and not others. Like we're kind of in the dark on that a lot. So just understanding that, that the public could understand how that works would be uh, a, a major step forward, right? So to, to transparency and accountability. The yeah, major tech companies, by the way, in uh, Europe are working on a code that is going mm -hmm. to be published uh, at the end of the year. Um, that is going to offer quite a lot of, I'm sorry, quite a lot of, <laughs> quite a lot of uh, transparency on uh, at least the moderation um, practices. Um, so, uh, right. yeah, so that should help uh, a little yeah, bit. No, yeah, I look forward to that. And I think, you know, I think things in Europe are a little bit ahead of, uh, you know, in the thinking a little bit, they have a bit more nuanced approach than um, maybe some do in the States and they understand these things a little bit better over here. Yeah, and I think uh, actually the Commission has already made a statement yeah, I think so. You would have to comply, so that was you know, going out there. Yeah, and I also think I read that Elon Musk was saying, seemingly that he would be a little bit more nuanced than, than he first suggested, uh, yeah. because perhaps he doesn't want to lose everyone on the platform, and he. Well, no, exactly. He, yeah, you, you know, he really has he he has a balancing act here, right? I mean, on the one hand, he's you know kind of got. Uh, uh, simplistic let's say um uh philosophy or ideology and and he's sort of really behind that and pushing that and that's part of his uh his whole mantra or aura um on the other hand you know he's he's a he's a businessman and if he's at the platform starts losing people because content moderation has gone back a decade you know and it's just a, an absolute free-for-all of of harassment and abuse and people just no longer feel that they want to be on the platform um then you know losing users is not good for the bottom line and that's going to affect his business so i think you know he can he can say things and but, but there are going to be other things that influence him and honestly you know it's a wait and see we don't really know how it's going to play out yeah and i think there's a real tension between some of the things he said in because it feels like he started as almost like as an impulse purchase of 44 billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> nice. That. Impulse by forty-four billion. <laughs> yeah, and then I think he and he said, "I want to do it for the good of humanity because of free speech, because of all these things." And I think once now that the numbers have kind of sunk in and they they matter even for him because they also hurt the Tesla share price and his other businesses if he gets it completely mm -hmm. wrong. He basically still needs this to be a business success and and, and a platform that basically works. So I think it's going to be a very interesting exercise where we see uh obviously you know must having to decide where he really wants to go with the platform uh, mm -hmm. obviously one of his first decisions will be to bring back or not to bring back donald trump he said that he <laughs> would do it yeah. Um, yeah so the question is will that happen and what will that mean for you know who else does he allow on the platform and does he then say he's going to stop banning everybody so do you think he's going to bring back donald trump 
you know, tomorrow he started firing CEOs and, and yeah, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, obviously, I, I, I don't know, um, I don't know about that uh, whatsoever. The, the, I mean, Donald Trump was banned, uh, you know, for pretty good reasons uh, in terms of incitement, and that's, uh, you know, whether you know, should a ban be temporary? Should a ban be permanent? I mean, that's actually you know some of the questions about moderation that you know should be clearer and more open. If you do these sorts, if you commit these sorts of infractions. You know what bans you for life, or what bans you for six months, or what bans you for for two years. Uh, you know that's. But I also think you know, just like public and media attention is super focused on the person of Elon Musk, um, sort of to the detriment of the bigger issues. I think this question of whether he'll bring Donald Trump back or not is is also a little bit um, you know, taking up some of the oxygen of the the wider discussion that, that we should be having about the regulation of these platforms. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's going to open up another round of discussion about you know, the platforms and their role in society and how people approach them. Um, now, you're obviously somebody who spends a lot of time on Twitter. Uh, you create a lot of content too much, clearly. Um, so tell us a little bit, how do you, I mean, you know, how much time does this represent for you? How do you do it? And we also wanted to talk a little bit about how you're using other platforms, including your newsletter, to get your message out there. So. How do you organize your day? Is it like 12 hours on Twitter and then sleep or how, how does it work? Yeah, yeah, it's not quite 12 hours on Twitter and sleep, um, but it's 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 closer to that than I would really like it to be. Um, so the the day start, I think when you are on Twitter, you know that there are certain times that are you know good and certain times that are you know, less good in terms of attracting the audience, where your followers are, and what you know, what time they're up, what time they're looking for news information. My, I, my principal audience on Twitter, the people I'm really trying to, to interact with, are you know, journalists, um, policymakers, people who are dealing with some of the, the the weightier issues of human rights. I find that you know, between seven o'clock in the morning and eight o'clock in the morning, that's when that group of people is deciding, you know, what journalists are deciding what they're going to write about for the day. You know, policymakers are deciding, you know, what they're what they're thinking about, talking about, preparing interviews for, and so on. So that seven to eight window is really is really critical. Um, I don't have like this enormous team. I know there's some. I mean, I'd love to be able to have like a team of sixty people or whatever it is that you know other people have like finding content around the around the internet and and you know helping develop ideas like no it's just me um so when i do a thread of whatever 20 tweets or something like that that's that's just me it's not it's not anybody else um uh, unfortunately or fortunately i don't know um and you know i, I am noticing and i have noticed and i think other people have said this um actually at the eu influencer event uh, last year i think you know john john worth mentioned this uh last year and we were talking about it um, at the at the most recent event, again, the platform Twitter itself has has become less useful uh, in policy discussions. I think there's a the the you know ten years ago, I was having conversations with you know, diplomats and and even ministers sometimes and and uh, and and parliamentarians around the EU about uh, you know about different subjects, about things that we were talking about, things that we we're engaged in. And now most Politicians and, and diplomats on Twitter are much more um, controlled. They have their a team, a communications team, do their tweets for them. It's all very, um, you know, uh, written out beforehand. There's much less spontaneity, so it's a lot less interesting. I think this is really, you know, it's been a gradual 
thing over 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 the years, um, but we're seeing it much much less now. And so, without that spontaneity, without that kind of discussion back and forth, the platform itself is less attractive to this group, this market sector, right? The sort of I mean, I know this is actually you know this is the dweeby side of of Twitter, which is probably in a two percent of their overall. Uh, business, you know, it's not sports or entertainment or something like that. So this is the the dweeby policy nerds uh, on Twitter, and they're not there um, in the numbers that they used to be. People are leaving because those conversations aren't as interesting as they used to be. And so where are they going? And we're trying to look at you know other formats where people might be going. And of course, you know, we're naturally attracted to newsletters, which have just really risen in importance over the over the last few years as you know, media outlets especially have just been rolling out one newsletter after another um, and so we're trying to uh, push a newsletter that, that we have every day called the daily brief which I am the principal author of every day I wake up in the morning I have a blank piece of uh, paper I don't blank piece of paper I have a blank page on my screen in front of me uh, and I fill it with a, a thousand words uh, or so um, in the, over, the, over the course of three or four hours um, and I have to choose, you know, a few subjects that relate to human rights and, uh, and, and push that out. And we're building up a, um, you know, a subscriber base there. You know, the problem is uh, this subscriber base, uh, building up a subscriber base takes a long time. So, you know, on, I've been on Twitter for 14 years and I've got 130,000 followers. Um, and, you know, it, it, it takes a while to, to, to build. But that's where I think, you know, that's where I'm going to definitely be putting a lot more of my time. And, I mean, I, I don't foresee you know, jumping off Twitter, you know, completely. But I do see like the balance between newsletter writing and promotion and um, engagement with readers. Uh, the percentage of my time doing that is will increase, and the percentage of my time on Twitter will uh, slowly, gradually decrease. That's interesting because what we do see and what the numbers also show is that uh, the MEPs, uh, the journalists, they are as much on Twitter as they ever were, even if they have a team like like the MEPs uh, who do the content. Yeah, there's some, no, MEPs, I think, are some, there's some exceptional MEPs. I, I, should, yeah. I should have said that, yeah. yeah. No, no, but even, even the ones that have a team and are, they are still themselves looking at the content, even if they're not engaging. So it's still important to be there, to be a part, mm-hmm. of, the, you know, okay. part of the debate, you know, because they, they might not, you know, they might leave the official communication over, you know, to a, to a team because you know they need to think that through and but they are there we see that they're there multiple times so, pa- so you see so you're seeing passively that they're that they're exactly there. exactly oh, right and so if if you pull out then someone else v- will fill that void well that's so, that's definitely true yeah yeah that's, yeah. that's so, so that's, i think we need to be very careful with drawing conclusions based on the professionalism uh professionalization of uh, of, of this medium it actually shows yeah. the importance not the opposite oh that's interesting that's interesting. And I think what we're, we're seeing, in a sense, is a professionalization of the space, and it's basically the, the entire online space, which has become our main source of all information. And Twitter's a part of it. Uh, and I think it's very interesting. So, so I see it as simply, you know, just being part of the of the canvas. The content maybe being less intimate because it's not such a closed. Uh, crowd that might know each other as they did before, but it's kind of everybody now, especially in, in these professional uh, debates. So it's more of a, uh, I would say, you know, oh, people spend more time thinking about what they can tweet and it's maybe in a, with a team and a strategy. Uh, but I'm interested also in your, your, you know, the mention of the newsletter, uh, yeah. because this is something I, I've, you know, we've been using emails, newsletters on and off for, for, for 20 years. 
Um, and basically, however unsexy emails are, it's always remained core. And I think to a certain, to some degree, it, it's it's really important even now. And it's pretty simple, but you just have to write good content. And people still open up the email if they want to read it. There are a couple of emails that I really read because they're well written. Um, what's been your experience with your uh, newsletter? Are people opening it and getting good good opening rates and reading? The content? Um, yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the opening rate on the thing varies between, I don't know, like 27 and 33%, something like that. You know, it depends on like the subject line. Sub subject line is everything, apparently. Um, and, and I think that's relatively good. It's like one in three, you know, that's one in four, one in three, uh, which which I think uh, is pretty good. Um, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. If you look at um, the, the standard, um, you guys can probably tell me what the market standard is better than, better than I, I know it. Um, but the, I think more importantly is, you know, we get a lot of feedback from, uh, from readers and, you know, a lot of the suggestions or a lot of this, the, the initial spark for the, for the, for the stories that appear in the newsletter come from readers, you know, readers say, Hey, there's something happening, happening in Nicaragua. Could you, you know, write about this, you know, look into it, please. And so, you know, we look into it and I bring in experts from Human Rights Watch to help me look into it. We, you know, I, I, I throw a piece together uh, on that. And then you know, someone else says, oh, you know, look at this thing that's happening in Turkey. Look at this thing that's happening in Sudan. And, um, you know, in that way, we're trying to you know, build a, a kind of community. Uh, it, it's, it's interesting. I think there's, there's something about newsletters, which, you know, it, it does feel more intimate. I mean, in a sense, like you, you, you're just not, I mean, you're not, uh, you can say the same thing as you say in tweets, uh, like a Twitter thread or something, but because it's going to you and your name and it's in your email and it, it, it feels somehow more intimate, more personal. Um, and, and I think people kind of, people like that, especially if they they've been frustrated on social media and have kind of been you know moving away from that because of the, the various uh, frustrations of that, uh, of, of social media platforms. Yeah, and it's interesting because we sent an email about Ukraine and, and Kirill, our, um, the, the, the person who came to the event and he, his whole journey, and we got some responses, you know, directly where, where people say thank you so much for doing that, but in a way that feels much more personal than just a general uh, message to everyone. Uh, you, you mentioned something when you talked about your preparation for the email, which is choosing the topics that you're going to communicate yeah. on. Uh, now, this is obviously a, a very complex question since... It's about you know ethics, politics, priorities, and all those things. Uh, but but you know maybe the question is how do you pick those topics? And you know I, I guess again it's probably a three-hour uh, discussion to, to answer that properly. But I, I do want to know one thing, which is how much of it comes from what you think people will be interested, in, which is almost like a kind of marketing campaign, saying, well I'm going to pick this topic because everybody's talking about that, and how much comes from you? Or Human Rights Watch, and and uh, we all come back on that. Yeah, yeah, um, uh, that's a, it's an excellent question, and, and and I'll tell you straight out, it's much more art than science uh, at the moment. I mean, we do look at the you know the open rates of different subject lines to see what, what people are interested in, but you know we're a human rights organization that's international, covering you know whatever hundred different countries, um, and if there's fresh information uh, or fresh research from you know one country. You know, I'm still going to go with that, even if it's not as not as popular as you know, some other uh, some other story that I know is going to be uh, more popular. So I'm constrained in that way a little bit. But um, I mean, two things. 
I choose three stories at the in the newsletter. So there's three main stories. One is about I don't know 300 words, and the other one's like you know 200, 150 words, something like that. So I'm trying to, and then there's a whole bunch of other sections. But but in those three main stories, I'm trying to kind of get a good mix, right? I want to have something that's uh, you know going to be interesting for that top story uh, to draw readers in if I can. Um, but then with the other two stories, I want to make sure that I'm getting a good geographic mix, a good um, subject mix. You know, I, I don't want to. I want to have if I have one LGBT uh, focused story, then you know the other two stories probably won't be LGBT focused because we're gonna. I want to bring something else in. I want to bring in I don't know children's rights. I want to talk about you know war crimes uh, somewhere. So you, I want to have a, a mix, and you know, human rights deal. Human rights watch deals with a ton of different subject areas uh, and in so many different countries around the world uh, and there's so many different human rights issues uh, that that's fairly easy to do you know like today I could have gone with um, whatever new UK government uh, uh, and I could have gone with um, uh, um, the I, I could have gone with the um, the IOM the the, the migration or UN migration agencies uh, numbers on the EU, um, uh, the deaths on the EU border. Um, but could you put both of those in? Well, they're both kind of Europe. You know, they're both sort of here, and you know, we have readers uh, in the US and in Africa and Asia, and like they want to hear things about their part of the world. So I kind of have to make a geographic balance, subject balance, uh, and then also I've got to like keep up with the news, like. The, the the Tusk thing, well, I mean, I wrote about uh, a Musk, sorry, <laughs> confusing my confusing my Polish politicians and my and my my billionaire my billionaires. Um when when I looked at Musk uh, just a couple of weeks ago and like I don't necessarily have anything new to say. This is what I wanted to say about the about the, the acquisition and and I've said it. And so I mean if I go back to it, like again, I'm just gonna bore people. Uh, and and uh you know I, I don't want to do that. So I have to bring something fresh, bring in something new. But you know, also as a human rights organization, there's some real perennials that just keep coming up again and again. I mean, the, the war in Ethiopia, for example, the war in Ukraine, the the China, uh, China's you know uh, crimes against humanity in Xinjiang province. It's like some of these things keep coming up. Myanmar, and they're just sort of standards. Afghanistan, and they're coming up again and again and again because they are you know some of the um, biggest human rights situations, human rights related situations that we have. Yeah, newsletters are also um, nice. They feel very comfortable. We can say exactly what we want to say. Nobody's going to come back to us. And if they do, that's privately, right? Uh, <laughs> right? Uh, so it's true. No, it's true. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's very safe. It, and don't you feel that the that Twitter also, in a way, everything is public. You get an instant response. You share with the world, not just the people that have subscribed. In a way, mm. it has a much bigger impact it's a good addition for sure a newsletter yeah. and it, it, there's no harm in it but your real power lies in, in in social media and in that sense it would be a shame if you were to leave for example the platform yeah well, to change. yeah yeah i mean when i say i'm gonna when i said uh, and i mentioned in the tweet that you know i would leave if if the the situation with you know harassment and intimidation you know went back to where it was 10 years ago and i think other people would as well i, I think you know twitter's made some uh slow steady progress on on content moderation that has made um uh made the experience of using twitter better over over time not 
you know, not they haven't done as much as they should by any means. It's not completely clear sometimes what they have been doing. It's because it's not necessarily open, but just anecdotally, the experience has become better. And to lose that progress, I think, would be very, um, very annoying. And, and just to get, you know, whatever ten thousand death threats a day, um, it's just not. It's just not interesting to me. Um, so is that, is that something that has happened to you? Is that oh, what you're saying? Uh, not ten thousand, but yeah, I mean, it was dozens at one point. Yeah. Right. Because I saw also your response to saying to people, if you um, if you if you respond to me and say things that are not factual, I will block you. Uh, is that yeah, is that a response yeah, also to similarities? Yeah, I mean, everybody says I should just I should just limit the the, the people who can re- reply to my, no, my tweets. Maybe, maybe I should do that instead. But but I, uh, you know, I do like I do like replies. But when people, um, you know, there's a, it's, I have a couple of rules about blocking. I block people who try to spread lies about me, or try to spread lies about the organization, or try to you know just basically push government propaganda in my replies. And like I think we had this conversation before. Replies are my space, the space that I control, right? And so if you are using that space, which is space I control for, you know, just uh, for defamation or propaganda, then, you know, honestly, you're cut off. You, that, you go do that somewhere else. Don't do that in, in, in my replies. Um, and I've blocked thousands and thousands of people. I mean, it, 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 some, on some days it gets kind of crazy. It's hundreds of people in a day. It's just... Uh, it's ridiculous. Wow. Okay, we have time for a few recommendations. So, Liara, we're going to start with your recommendations. My recommendations. Okay, so as you all know, because I've been talking about nothing else for a couple of weeks, because there's a big revolution going on, the first female revolution in the world. So, we all have to support it, especially women, but men too. So, I encourage you to share because that's how we can help the women and men in Iran. Um, I wanted to talk about the most visible person in the West who is uh, uh, has been leading this fight, who is Masi Alinejad, who has a Twitter channel of 8.4 million followers, uh, where she shares and has been sharing uh, for years, uh, for decades. I think these uh, these stories of, uh, of women protesting uh, against the mullahs, against the uh, illegal dictators, uh, which dictators are usually illegal. Uh, but she also um, wrote a book in 2018, uh, which I've started to, to read. It's called The Wind in My Hair, My Fight for Freedom in Modern Iran. And uh, what I didn't know was that she also has her very personal story, very much uh, tied to the uh, to the situation in Iran. She was uh, married She she uh, had, because she, was, she got pregnant, which of course, is a big sin in Iran to get uh, pregnant without being married. So she quickly got married and she had to get divorced, which is an even bigger sin. And then she was separated from her child. So there's a whole personal story very much related to uh, the nightmare that is uh, living on there under a dictatorship that suppresses uh, women and men alike for wearing tight trousers, for example, or, you know, as, as we all know, for uh, having a piece of hair stick out of your headscarf, uh, your hijab. Um, so she she describes this in so much, uh, um, yeah. So 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 it makes it so clear what it's like to live in a situation like that. And also her uh, whole uh, personality is just amazing. She has so many videos. I will also share that below. There's a video that she just she was uh, awarded a prize uh, today. Um, I think today she published a video today uh, together with um, um, the president of Ukraine. And she showed this, but she also said, why is everyone supporting him against Putin, but not 
not us and why are you still not uh, banning the, the, the ambassadors? Why are you still not, uh, why are you still condoning the regime and not taking a stand? She says there was a price where everyone was saying no to something. I said, I'm not saying no to the regime. The entire people of Iran are saying no to the regime. I'm saying no to the Western countries, to Europe, to uh, the US. Um, who are still not taking a stand, enough of a stand against uh, this illegal regime. So read up on her, watch her videos. Uh, they're all being posted below and uh, read the book if you have time. It's a powerful document. Thank you. Um, Andrew, what about you? Uh, well, that's a hard one to follow. Um, I'm, I'm going to go in a completely uh, uh, different direction. Well, first of all, obviously, I'm going to, I'm going to plug my newsletter, please. Uh, uh, do subscribe to that. It's uh, uh, and do take part in recommending to me uh, stories that you think I should cover. Um, I was going to just make a quick recommendation for a for a podcast, if I if I may. Is that all right? Um, so there's a a podcast that is completely not work related, um, and most of my podcasts that I like to listen to are completely not work related. I don't do politics. I don't do human rights. I don't do anything uh, except clear my brain when I listen to the podcast and a good brain clearing one is called stuff you should know. Uh, and it is really essentially just, uh, two, two guys yakking about, uh, various subjects. They do a bit of research and they look into a particular subject, but it it's, they're all over the place in terms of, uh, in terms of subject matter. Uh, and they, and the, and the best thing about them is they don't take themselves too seriously. Uh, super popular podcast. I might add in terms of the, the number of downloads that they've had, uh, and, uh, Going through their back, uh, a good thing to do is download a couple of those for a long plane flight uh, and, and zone out a, a little bit. Um, I find that kind of um, lighter material uh, is, is really welcome at the end of a, a long day talking about war crimes and uh, you know uh, the other human rights violations that we that we deal with. Great, so I, I'll definitely check that out. I think we've, we've put the title. Um, and I'm sure Lear will have some, some interesting suggestions for what you should put in your newsletter, or at least what she thinks you should. Uh, and I'm going to end with uh, a kind of mix between the two. This is Ikigai. Uh, I think a lot of people heard about it. It's so basically looking at the Japanese concept. Nice little, it's a nice book, actually. feels great. Uh, where things intersect between what you love, what you're good at, your vocation, and what you get paid for. Uh, so if we can all do that, I think it makes us happier. Uh, nice little read and obviously lots of videos on the internet. So that's all we have time for. Have a fantastic weekend. Uh, have a great uh, flight if you're going somewhere and uh, enjoy yourself. And we will be in touch online. See you next week. Thank you, Andrew. Thank, Thank you. you Andrew. Bye.